0: Welcome to the Friday edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 678. I'm Kevin
1: Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today's August 6th, 2021.
0: All right, welcome to another program of Anglican Unscripted. This is the news program of... Anglicanism and Christianity and secular news. George and I sit down here every week, uh, sometimes twice a week, and pontificate upon what we see in the news, stories that are posted on Anglican.inc, and other news sources. Kind of fun. We've been doing this now for 10 years. A uh, little background because I see there's lots of new subscribers. My name is Kevin, and uh, I own a company in Connecticut, and I run Anglican TV Ministries. I also live full time with my wife in an RV. We travel around the country here in North America. We are currently docked somewhere outside of Madison, Wisconsin, kind of my hometown. George is a wonderful priest in the Diocese of Central Florida. He's in Lakanto, Florida, and he runs one of the most successful churches in his diocese. You've been there almost five or six years now, George, right? If I'm doing my math correct?
1: Seven going on eight.
0: Oh my gosh, George that deserves a sip of coffee seven going on eight years and so uh, this is a show we put together and uh, we love doing it and this is the part in the show that i ask viewers to click the like button because that helps fool facebook and youtube into thinking this is a real good show and they will promote it for us it's free advertising if you have not subscribed to the show yet please subscribe if you want to be part of the conversation a part of what happens here on camera please go to the comment section and add your comments we read all of them we enjoy that you comment if you do not want to watch our pasty faces on a video format we have this in podcast only format you can find that in the youtube show notes george how are you doing this week
1: i'm uh, excited traumatized simultaneously because a miracle i think occurred on sunday and I'm not being facetious when I say that. Sunday uh, early evening my wife and I got a text message from our daughter Laura saying that Claudia had fallen while climbing. The two My two daughters out in California and they were actually spent the weekend climbing uh, mountains and Claudia fell and that she's in the emergency room with Claudia and over time we got the drips and drabs and of the messages and Susan told us Uh, Laura told us what was going on. The story was they were climbing and Laura had rappelled down a 60-foot cliff face and Claudia was following her down and as she was maybe a quarter of the way down the rope snapped and so Claudia plunged she had a free fall about 20 feet onto uh, an outcropping and then rolled down the remaining 40 feet to the base of the uh, ravine and Laura thought that she'd been killed because you know, 60 feet is a huge sure, place. And Claudia was alive and uh, she split her lip and her legs and arms were all scratched from the slide. And they took, she took, and she and some other climbers helped Claudia climb out of the ravine, drove to the emergency room. No broken bones, no internal injuries. She didn't rupture her spleen, she didn't crush her skull, she didn't split her neck. Break her neck. She didn't. She just. All the things uh, that dads
0: think about when they hear that there's all a the things.
1: Yeah. And she didn't even break her iPhone screen. <laughs> That's the first thing she was worried about. You were worried
0: about her. She was worried about her iPhone.
1: And I really do feel that this is God's providence at work because, by all rights, even if she didn't, she fell 20 feet, even if she didn't tumble another 40. She should have broken something or cracked her skull opener and so God has uh, protected her and uh, I give thanks and glory for that but I'm still traumatized. (laughs) My little baby girl and I wonder where do they get this from Kevin? I wouldn't be caught dead on the side of a mountain. You you and
0: I would be huffing and puffing just to get outside of the visitor parking area and our kids they, they have this we gotta have an experience mentality and uh, your kids didn't bring the ropes right? Did, were they rappelling on their own ropes or they just saw a rope and they no, oh, yeah.
1: said there's a rope there's a rope hanging down the side of a mountain <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like but I mean what can you and the th- thing is our children don't really talk to us on telephones anymore no? it's only for um, only when they need money and a crisis do they call the rest of these, these sort of cryptic text messages with all these emojis and everything. I mean, man has progressed from hieroglyphics to writing, and now we're going back down into hieroglyphics again. Um, well, I, I have a new
0: standard for reaching out to my children and making sure they contact me and say, tell me how they're doing. So I'll change the Netflix, Netflix password. <laughs> which is just, that's, that's just saying I want my attention. And, oh, Dad, how are you? by the way what's the new netflix password and all three will do that within a day so they're all watching too much netflix but they finally uh will... now, sometimes they'll text mom did dad change the password yes he did he wants his hot low text he wants his uh we're checking up and we love you dad it's a whole new age george now i say this because i am the son visiting my parents back here in Madison. And mom and dad have been locked in all of COVID. They live in a nice retirement center here in Middleton on the uh, northwest side of uh, Madison. And the retirement center had no cases of COVID because they locked it down. You were not allowed in or out. You weren't allowed any visitors. You were allowed mask. Your health care providers, uh, nurses' aides and stuff could come and go, but they had to be fully masked. And mom and dad haven't been to a restaurant. They haven't been out anywhere in more than a year i show up post covid kind of and i got delta going on and i'm taking them to restaurants i'm taking them to tourist things we went to the wisconsin dells we took the duck boats where you get into boat that is uh, amphibious and that was a lot of fun and so basically my mom and dad who are in their 80s have worn jill and i out we both slept in this morning because mom and dad have taken us or made us take them everywhere and uh, Wisconsin has been well-touristed by Jim and Pat Coulson. Uh, so I'm here another week, and I'll probably be worn out. It is what it is, but uh, glad mom and dad are doing well. Let's move on to the news. we got lots of stories. George and I had a discussion about, in, in our pre-show, we do about a half-hour pre-show, what's the good news story this week? There was not a lot of good news going on. It's, it's crazy times, but we found one and george and i our first idea was there's a priest who sewed his lips together in protest of the media not covering climate change that's priest sewn lips that's a good news story he won't talk or uh, uh, pontificate on non-godly things for a while but george found a better one there is a um, whistleblower uh, priest in a diocese in the Church of England. I don't know why we talk about the Church of England so much. Who now has his job back, so to speak? His name is Stephen Kurtz. Give us the update, George.
1: Stephen Kurtz is the uh, is the minister, the rector, the vicar of uh, Christ Church, New Malden, in the diocese of Southwark. It's, it's spelled Southwark uh, for American viewers. Yeah. And on June 22nd, he was suspended by the diocese. And the reason why he was suspended uh, was frankly in my view appalling. He has been trying to get the diocese and the National Church's attention to a safeguarding issue, an abuse issue, for several years or I'm sorry for a long time I don't know how long and the diocese has ignored him. He wrote up a memo and circulated this memo to some close friends where he laid out his problem of the diocese ignoring the abuse and the diocese then pounced because he went, out to safe- he went outside of the safeguarding uh protocols and he mentioned somebody's name in this uh memo that he was trying to help people help him with and he was suspended for violating safeguarding rules for- and essentially he was suspended for being a whistleblower well this past week the diocese of southwark uh Ended the suspension and gave him a slap on the wrist for writing the memo and basically uh, washing the dirty linen in public. So we'll see if the Diocese of Southwark actually now moves upon the issues that underlie all this, but evidently this whistleblower has now been exonerated from the dreadful attacks by the diocesan drones uh, who are covering up things
0: it's interesting because right now here in america we have a good example of a diocese in the uh, acna that did not follow procedure uh in this type of situation and it is just a mess right now while we're trying to pick up the pieces over there they're still not following procedure as well he was he filed with the diocese and said this is a problem they never investigated he tried to get the attention of the national church they never investigated and so we have a problem that is not being taken care of when there are procedures to do so and it's hard to watch this in the church you know if if you're not going to be transparent if you're not going to follow your uh jobs and your rules what's the point of having a diocese and a bishop and all the uh uh, mechanisms and canons that go with it humble opinion okay Mm -hmm. we alluded to another church of england story that was almost our good news story and i'm going to bring it up here on the screen for you guys to see because we can do that here Ah, priest soul's lips shut in protest over press responsibility in climate crisis now i would say he's only (laughs) met at hubert murdoch because the bbc has no trouble reporting all the weird news of climate change but this is an interesting story because this is an activist priest who is uh decided to do the real thing he really sold his lips together george i saw the video it's disgusting um and he's just going to be a social justice warrior and a climate change person once again ignoring the gospel Tell me a little
1: about the story. <laughs> the Reverend Tim Hewis, 71, retired priest of the Church of England, had went to the headquarters of News Corp in London. And with a and in front of the building, you can see the video. He so he sewed his own lips shut. And then sat down in front of News Corp with a sign saying Rupert Murdoch ignores science and words to essentially that the News Corp and its subsidiaries. Are not uh, proclaiming the climate emergency that Mr. Hewis believes is upon us. And, you know, I I think it's sort of sad that uh, once upon a time, Buddhist monks would set themselves on fire in Vietnam to protest Mm -hmm. the war. And that made that every TV channel and was a constant meme for a year. This doesn't even make the front page of the local paper in London because these sort of stunts are so passe and they don't accomplish anything. Do you think, I don't even think Rupert Murdoch even knows this happened. No.
0: Ah. Well, it's interesting. I remember you know, back in the 80s, uh, Jesse Jackson would have a hunger strike uh, outside in the Capitol steps. You'd have a little tent and the pizza delivery guy knew where the tent was. Um, and he would have this hunger strike and after a while the press got on that he wasn't really starving himself he was getting good nourishment and people in the press can see through uh, fake uh, uh, protest and they stop covering you the the church of england has been a 60-year fake protest and they don't get coverage at all in the BBC or news. Uh, the BBC never calls a bishop anymore for comment. Would you please comment on the story we have in, in the secular press? Nobody cares about the church anymore. And when they see this, they don't—they don't care anymore. This is—we this is, get this from our secular people. I could see Greta Thorne—I uh, Thorne, can't even pronounce the last name—Greta. I only have to use her first name. Doing the same, and she would get press coverage more than this priest George
1: it's a shame because uh maiming yourself i don't think achieves anything no. and also his message is so screwy we spoke last week about the prophets of doom al gore prince charles and their ilk that we only have 12 years left you know going back to the population bomb people in the 70s the end is near the end is nigh and of course uh it's not true never happens Um. I'm not saying there isn't man-made climate change. I'm just not on board with these people who say the end is two, three years from now. Um, And one of the things I've always cautioned people when in church settings, like at diocesan or parish events, well, let's do something to catch the press's attention. I'm sorry, that doesn't work anymore. Short of taking a gun and shooting somebody, it doesn't catch people's attention because people, the secular world is not interested in what the church has to say on secular issues. They're interested in what the church has to say about moral issues. And yes, I know climate change is a moral issue for some people, but that doesn't count. Um, we're talking about Christian issues. Um, well, and I so, w- churches that waste their time protesting about immigration and climate change, nobody cares
0: i remember you know christians also used to preach the end of the world too not just climate change but uh the late great planet earth by hal lindsay you know christians are not innocent in in trying to to get attention and find a way forward to uh be in the press and have their message out there that the world is over the world is ending uh i think hal lindsay said it was the last generation well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's passed on, you know, and I'm going to say that climate change, you know, now that the, the world is cooling a little, uh, they're losing their muster. Uh, the press is losing interest, uh, watching all the jets head off to uh, Sweden for these conferences. Uh, the press is fully into the liberal garb. It's fully into all these uh, uh, leading edge left ideas, but they, they don't want to be played. They want real news in it. And so if you can't provide it, you're not going to you're going to end up on page six of the telegraph. Okay, George, let's hit our next story. What do we have here? Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kenya. Um, we talked about a woman bishop being consecrated in South Sudan. We've talked about another uh, bishop being voted in as a suffragan in Kenya. We now have another woman bishop being uh, elected, Rose Okino, uh, in Kenya. And I see a problem for GAFCON. You see a problem for GAFCON. I thought we could talk about the story and talk about the ramifications.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, inside baseball, Mm -hmm. uh, really what lies behind the scenes here. So... um, Rosa Keno was elected on Saturday, last Saturday, Bishop of Butere, which is a diocese in Western Kenya, a small diocese. And she, the, this election was presided over by the Bishop of Bondo. And the Diocese of Bondo was where Emily Oyongo was elected a suffragan in January. And in 2018, the GAFCON primates passed a moratorium saying we as archbishops of our provinces will not permit the ordination of bishop women to the episcopate one of Uh, the signers was the bishop archbishop of kenya
0: uh, and a quick reminder there was always an unofficial agreement that you know we're not going to have women bishops you know some uh, provinces are more than welcome to have uh women in, in the clergy and deacon roles um, but we're not going to tackle this women bishop uh, thing for a while. And maybe you never have to. Well, it's here now, George.
1: Yes, and bishop Professor Stephen Knoll uh, was part of a very wide-ranging task force that looked at women's orders. And the task force concluded that uh, while priests and deacons are acceptable across most of GAFCON, we're not of one nine on women bishops. Mm-hmm. And this all was prompted, uh, the high-level task force, because in December 31st, 2016, a woman was elect, uh, consecrated as a suffragan in South Sudan. Well, the Gafcon primates got together, and they said they wouldn't do this again until everybody was on board. Well, January turns around, comes around this past year, and a woman is elected suffragan. And Jackson Oli-Sappet, who has publicly endorsed the women bishop moratorium, told his synod this, recently, uh, did not stand in the way of her being consecrated. And if you look at the recent picture on Anglican Inc. of the meeting of the House of Bishops of Kenya, where they gave a national pastoral letter, Emily Oyango is in the front row. She's the one with the purse in the skirt. Um, the issue now is, will he consecrate Rose uh, Rosokeno? GAFCON primates have asked him not to, and he has said he won't, but here's the rub. The, uh, the issue is the Kenyan Church Constitution uh, allows women bishops, and in 2019, the 2019 meeting of the Kenyan Synod said we reaffirm our belief in women bishops, because we, right now, um, the grammar of men traditionally has applied to men and women, but we want to clarify this that men does not exclude women uh, from the Episcopacy. So o- Emily O'Yong'o is uh, elected and so Jackson Olysses sapat has a problem. First problem is these, the people who elected Emily O'Yong'o are his opponents within the Kenyan church. Right. There's a portion of the Kenyan church that's very tightly tied into the Anglican Church of Canada and the American Episcopal Church in Trinity Wall Street, places like that. They're the the ones, uh, they're the opposition. Second, they're tribal divisions. This is Western Kenya. I think it's significant that Raleigh Odinga, who's the leader of the opposition to the president of Kenya, President Kenyatta, uh, immediately issued his congratulations to Emily. They're the same tribe the against uh, and Kenya number of years ago had almost almost was on the verge of tribal civil war for the elections. Jackson Olesapid is not of the largest Kikuyu tribe as were his predecessors. He is a Maasai which is a smaller tribe and so he doesn't have the immediate tribal loyalty his predecessors have and then finally, the lawyers got involved and the chancellors in Kenya said, look, you don't have legal standing refuse these women consecration because because that would be an act of discrimination that violates our church canons. Your private promise to have a moratorium is no good when it comes against the canons of the Kenyan church because GAFCON doesn't have a position of canonical standing on obedience. So Jackson, only Sabbath, is faced... So basically, they got over January by saying she's a suffragan. She's not a diocesan bishop. She's not going to be exercising jurisdiction. Now, the issue has been forced once again by the same people. Now, Emily, let's let's take Rose Okano, the the woman, out of this. Mm -hmm. She's been a parish priest for 20 years. She's been the archdeacon. She's been the vicar general of the diocese following the retirement of the previous bishop. She's well qualified. She, you know, she's a widow. Uh, she basically is an excellent candidate for a bishop if you put sex to one side. Um, so what does Jackson Oly do? Does he give legal ammunition to the people who within his House of Bishops who want to tear him down? Does he follow the GAFCON moratorium? So we called GAFCON. And GAFCON sort of shocked us. They have a new press spokesman who's in England. Andrew Gross is no longer the GAFCON spokesman. And the new press spokesman said, well, there was a sunset clause on the women bishops moratorium. It expired in 2019. What? Said, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> what? and I wrote him back <laughs> saying, are you sure? Because that's news to me. He said, yes, we're sure. And the, and then he went on to say the GAFCON primates have not been able to get together because of COVID and they're supposed to meet in to September in person and we'll sort of see what happens when we have that meeting. So in essence GAFCON is backtracking. There's now a sunset sunset uh, on this moratorium.
0: So the moratorium they agreed to in 2018 was a one-year moratorium? I did not know that I didn't see that written down anywhere. Uh, None of the primates I spoke to acknowledged as of one-year. I I understood it as a journalist to be a a
1: moratorium until we discuss it further. And are of one mind. Yes. So I'm, I don't know. So I can see where Jackson Elysepid is. Mm -hmm. He's got to fight, he has disloyal bishops. Uh, these, they're, they Some of them are going to go to get, uh, Lambeth, when twenty twenty two, when uh, Jackson said he's not going in solidarity with Gafcon.
0: And if anybody wants to Google the Saka in Anglican Unscripted, we've discussed the bad bishops of Kenya before.
1: One of them is a bishop of Nairobi, but mm-hmm. we we digress. Um, so what happens now? Well, Gafcon has to decide do we basically give Jackson only Sabbath a break because he's facing an internal civil war and if we stay hard on this issue he could be badly damaged and we lose him on other issues Uh, there's a political calculus that has to take place among the leaders of the GAFCON movement how and I think we're sort of seeing it with this now sunset clause business that, uh, that we're gonna let things slide that's what seems to be happening but yeah. i don't I, I can't read minds i don't know what the future will tell
0: yeah i do know that the primates have met by zoom the gafcon primates uh, over COVID, during COVID time so we'll have to see what happens um interesting developments and uh i don't think it's a the ultimate test for gafcon gafcon uh, can survive this but it's just going to be interesting to see how they uh put their new thoughts please put it on paper so we can refer to it in the future uh, uh anything that has sunset clauses we'd like to know uh george let's move on to some more news you and i have part of our the success of anglican Scripted is a dying global church it's sad to watch uh um the roman catholic church uh lose membership the lutheran church the episcopal church the United Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist, you name denomination after denomination over the last 10, 20, 30, almost 40 years, have seen declines of anywhere between 25% to probably 60% for some denominations. And it's a global uh, trend where the church itself is identifying more with the world and more with culture. And people say, well, I, I get this from CNN. Why would I want to go to church to get it preached to me? And people don't see the gospel anymore in church. They don't see a difference between church and society. And times are changing. Kids don't go to church like their parents went to church. My generation didn't go to church like my parents' generation went to church. We, we don't suffer from the farmlands Uh, of the Midwest where there was famine and drought and and all the things that would cause people to go to church and worship and pray and uh, have close connections with community. The community now is online. The community right now is uh, in in this little rectangle device you carry around. Uh, You have apps called Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and oh mommy milt and uh, email and stuff and you know, we, we found a different identity in ourselves through electronics. So I'm not surprised when I see a report from the Bishop of the Diocese of Vermont saying in the last 10 years they've declined 25% and they're about to go into the Red George. We've seen this with other Episcopal dioceses, we've seen this in dioceses that aren't Episcopalian all over the world that the churches are going into the red people aren't attending
1: and people no longer have a need for God. There's certain parts of the country that are more God's country in the sense of the climate of religiosity is stronger. Certainly is strong here in Florida where I am. It's not Miami but it here in the north and central Florida is. New England is very stony ground for almost all Christian groups. Uh, there are a few exceptions of megachurches but uh, New England, we'll look at the Episcopal Church in particular, has been a constant decline. Um, the Diocese of Vermont elected a new bishop, Sharon McVean Brown. She's an African-American. She's the first woman, first African-American bishop of Vermont and Vermont has forty uh, congrega- uh, 45 congregations However, the average Sunday attendance is forty per congregation. And Sharon uh, Shannon, excuse me, Shannon uh, Bishop Bishop Shannon uh, brought in an auditor from uh, an, somebody from the accounting firm Deloitte, uh, who basically crunched the numbers and ran the books. And, and the report that they found they released, which she shared at her diocesan synod, and a pastoral letter dated July twenty second was that uh, in 2023 we're going to hit a financial cliff. It's on the horizon where income is going to fall below uh, expenses and no, no amount of uh, cost cutting of uh, staff or uh, programs is going to cover it. Now the average per person giving is increasing each year but it's the demographic decline. People are dying and they're not being replaced and Bishop uh, Shannon uh, is saying I salute her for basically facing this front and center and saying we've got to do something and the things that we're going to do is we're immediately going to be cutting costs. We're going to have to look at how we structure parishes. We're going to have to look at how we're." uh, she's doing the right things financially now my argument is that this is all rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because they don't, they're not doing things right spiritually. Uh, it's easy for me to say that coming from Florida uh, where times are good here. Mm-hmm. Uh, before COVID times were good here. Uh, but well,
0: I, but w- what you're saying is very important because I want to see it experiment where the church actually says, why don't we return to the gospel and see if that works? Why don't we preach Jesus and see if that works? Why don't we reach out to the children and the young adults and the adolescents who have identity crisis, who don't know their gender, who don't know how to to get an education, whose families are broken, and reach out to them with Jesus? And, And Why don't we try that? Let's try something radical and something new why not not just rearrange the deck chairs not just lay off staff not just say the it's inevitable with an average age of 69 that this church is going to be extinct in 10 years no let's let's do the inevitable and preach jesus
1: well the problem i see as i see it is that uh, they don't have the right clergy to do that yeah. they have clergy that match the ages of their congregations or they and they have a lot of second career people Who come into the ministry in their late 50s, and you know they've semi-retired to Vermont. Maybe a spouse works, but the hard work of attracting families with young children, of attracting the unreached, is really too hard for priests in their late in their 60s -hmm. to start doing if they've spent all their life just sort of tending the machine. So, in other words, they've got the wrong. They've got they. The Diocese of Vermont is fortunate that 10% of their budget is funded by investments. They've got inherited money. So they have some assets. They have 45 churches, which is wonderful for a tiny state, but the other necessary asset, the human capital, is missing. They don't have the troops on the ground to advance the the, uh, agenda that Kevin has shared. It's just, in other words, you can, throw, you can throw, actually, if they had all the money in the world, they still wouldn't be able to turn things around until they change the message and, and the people sharing the message. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I, I, if you're not going to change your message, I, I don't know what to say. You know, yeah, you're, you're going to go into the red, and we've seen this in other dioceses in the Episcopal Church, and one day you're going to run out of the trust funds, you're going to run out of the... Uh, uh, funds at your churches, like the Episcopal Church, the Diocese of Connecticut. Yeah, I don't know. George, let's move on Do some updated stories. Uh, Truro, we got an update from the vestry. What's going on there?
1: Sunday is the parish meeting. Uh, at the parish meeting, uh, we've covered the forced resignation of Tim Mayfield, who was the associate rector and acting rector following the resignation of uh, Tory Balcombe and there's been pushback by some members of the congregation against getting rid of uh, Tim Mayfield, and the diocese, sorry, the parish laid out a six-point letter to the congregation basically saying, we did everything right. Some people have complained that none of the other clergy were involved in this and they would all vouch for Tim, and the parish responded, well it's not the clergy's business, we've been working closely with Bishop Guernsey, it's the vestry's job, not the other clergy's job. Um, many of the things that we shared in last week's uh, show where we basically said, you know, it's a difficult situation but the parish and the diocese have done it right, they echoed in their letter in greater detail. You can read the letter on Anglican, Inc. Um, and they also announced uh, that Mary Maggard Hayes, Mary Hayes, would be the new interim rector. Now that's uh, that's going to be controversial. Uh, for some people. She doesn't have the parish experience, really, that you would hope for, for for leading a, a one of the flagship parishes, but she's in the interim, she's not the rector. And of course the women issue is going to pop up for some people as well.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure in that diocese, but you know, maybe.
1: Well, I think because it, those big parishes, Truro Falls Church, Christ Church, Plano, mm-hmm. because of their status within get act, as sort of the cardinal parishes that's why they get all this attention and so people outside of the diocese outside of the parish are gonna want their positions to be known even though they really don't (laughs) much matter to the vestry of uh, Truro parish
0: like Anglican unscripted (laughs) all right so that's a Truro update I see that we posted a story that there's uh, some candidates for bishop coadjutor in South Carolina, um, cool. Uh, it's you know a, a great functioning diocese. It's been through so much turmoil this last dozen years, um, and it, it's nice to see that uh, they're at the point they need a, a bishop coadjutor. Um, faces I've seen around the 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 diocese are on the list. Should be fun.
1: i've got a a political story from africa i'd like to share if you're interested in that oh
0: absolutely yeah in fact i'm looking here at the clock we are at 36 minutes we got 10 minutes to go go for it
1: well there may be time can i talk about india okay never mind Um, those with a memory in the 1960s there was a terrible civil war in nigeria called the biafran war where the southeastern Igbo regions, Igbo speaking regions, wished to succeed, secede from Nigeria. That's where all the oil is. And the Igbo, Igbo people were basically upset that the northern Muslim Hausa generals were basically taking all the money that come a, came out of the ground and using it for them and not putting it back into the region. The civil war cost hundreds of thousands of lives, both in conflict and in starvation, and it was settled with the defeat of the Biafran forces. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was like a million people died there.
1: Close yeah. to it. I mean yeah. the, these are one of those things that you just don't know, yeah. uh, the final total. Well the uh, Archbishop of Inugu, uh, Emmanuel Chukwuma, uh, is in trouble with the Biafran separatists. This is the Archbishop for that region and now Emmanuel Chukwuma is a bit of a character I can remember at Lambeth 1998, in front of the BBC cameras, he attempted to exercise the demon of homosexuality from Richard Kirker, the head of the gay and lesbian Christian movement. It should be noted for the record that didn't work. Didn't work. And he reminds me, uh, he always wears aviator glasses Mm -hmm. with his... uh, Beretta and uh, Purple cassock. He reminds me of a South Vietnamese Air Force general. He really does. The only, the only thing missing is a cigar holder, cigarette holder, and an open-top limousine. Um, the There's a group called IPOP, Indigenous People of Biafra. It is a group that is agitating for the secession of the Biafra region, it's the inheritors of the Biafran civil war. Their leader, Namidi Kuna, was essentially kidnapped from a foreign country by Nigerian security forces and brought back to Nigeria recently to stand trial for treason for advocating independence for Biafra. IPOB went on to social media and accused Bishop Chuck Wuma of betraying uh, Kanu to the police, of uh, being part of the scheme to snatch him from a foreign country. And so IPOB has posted on social media uh, all these threats against Chukwuma and the Anglican Church in that part of the world and we might see Archbishop Chukwuma murdered. Now he's gone on to the record saying I've had nothing to do with this in fact I've been a supporter of IPOB's nonviolent agitations uh, and he has been a supporter for the Igbo people rights as opposed to the Hausa and other uh, Yoruba um, but Politics is a difficult dirty game in Africa, and I have no knowledge whether it's true or not that he was involved Helping the federal government Crack down on separatists, but the separatists think so and they may kill him.
0: Yeah, it's a Not a pleasant story and Yeah, that that happens in Africa and other nations frequently I see on our list We also talked about the uh, Uganda worship band Banned. No, ban, not banned. banned BAN. B-A-N, uh, where uh, to fight COVID, they have really cut down on people gathering together. And certainly they've shut down the um, Islamic worship. They've shut down the Jewish worship and the Christian worship and said, we don't want to spread COVID this way.
1: They've been taken to court. What is the results, George? Uganda has entered the 21st century where when you don't like something, you sue. Sue. Uh, The Alliance Alliance Defense International, which is this sort of uh, international religious freedom foundation, is helping some Ugandan churches uh, and mosques sue the Ugandan government for the draconian COVID laws. Uh, Uganda basically has been shut down uh, for public worship uh, with religion deemed non-essential and they are responding by going to the courts to have the uh, judiciary overturn the president's decrees. If they're successful that would be- now let's put a COVID to one side. If they're successful that would be a wonderful thing because it would show that there are three equal parts of government uh, legislature, judiciary, and the presidency which is not the norm in Africa. Most times the president his boss and everything else flows from his will. So we'll see how this turns out. Um, it does seem excessive, the, uh, the the degree of the lockdown they have. It's not like Sydney, Australia, I think it's Sydney, uh, I'm sorry, it, not like uh, Melbourne where I'm told that they're having the police, the army assist the police in forcing COVID uh, stay-at-home orders which is just Ludicrous yeah, I, in I my saw mind.
0: a story that they have helicopters in the sky uh, down there trying to make sure that people don't leave their houses in groups and like you know, okay, we went through that crazy a year ago, but uh, Covid is crazy. We have delta running amok here in the Midwest. I know you have it in Florida um, I I remember eight episodes ago I gave the all clear. I had my vaccination you had your vaccination we were out of this we were out of the woods life could return to normal people could go back to their jobs people could go back to their work sites people could gather again and have family reunions and class reunions and weddings and the world would start to be normal again that was eight weeks ago now it's shut down and uh, they're threatening to to have us wear a mask again? I'm not wearing a mask again. I, I burned my mask.
1: I don't see the you know, mask we, have, here. we have new instructions from our diocese, diocesan bishop uh, mm-hmm. asking us to wear, asking for the priest to wear a mask when he celebrates the Eucharist. Um, we've not, uh, we've interpreted uh, the bishop's rules for lay people rather loosely, essentially saying, "Here's what the bishop says, but it is your choice." but being clergy we are uh we must follow the bishop's directives
0: no um, you're episcopalian you have pa- pastoral oversight <laughs> you, which can over I, i've seen it happen many times in the episcopal church in the last 12 years you're allowed to overrule
1: some of the strangeness
0: of your bishop by having pastoral oversight
1: well i am a man under obedience kevin and it, uh it, well it basically doesn't matter whether i agree with him or not uh that's part of what you sign up for when you become an Episcopal priest of being- a, yes there are times when you need to take a moral stance mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying that's wrong but for me the mask issue is not on par with some of the other issues that have fled to the formation of the ACNA and other groups.
0: It's not the hill you're gonna die on. No. no it's not. All right well we've hit uh, what 45 minutes you guys have been very patient with this episode of Anglican Scripted. I, I do want to thank George. You know, he's put a lot of time in. He's a very successful priest. He's doing it right. His church is growing. And twice a week, he sits down with Kevin and we talk about the news. But that's not the hardest part of the job. The hardest part of the job is finding the news. He's a journalist, journalist, and he's always posting news stories on inc. Please go there if you've never heard of Anglican.inc. It's on the web. I'll post an, uh, a link in the show notes. And when you get there, it's going to ask, do you want to subscribe? Do you want to get updates every time there's a new story? Just click yes. And then every time George posts a new story, whether it's his own or a press release, you will know what's going on in the Anglican communion.
1: That's what we do. Can Can I mention just two, two little things? For some readers, uh, We first off, I do want to say, I had a bit of a thrill and I know Kevin did too, that one of our our story on Rowan Williams, which we covered in Anglican Unscripted last week. The Greta was story? Picked up, the Greta story was picked up by the American Spectator magazine and one of their authors wrote an extended piece giving us credit and uh, drawing upon it for his uh, opinion article, which was a bit of a thrill for me. Sure. And he linked to the story and so that that one story has sort of a lopsided viewership compared to some of the other stuff. But what I wanted to mention is that the Church Society put out a press release about uh, their bullying complaints against them. Uh, The Andreevs, uh, Michael, and uh, just went out of my head, his wife, have uh, accused them of bullying, and there's been a long simmering conflict there. And I received an email from uh, some of our readers saying, why did you not Challenge some of the assertions in the press release.
0: Well, and and the press release says, The press release says, We did an investigation, we found ourselves innocent. And we're getting a bit of a pushback on that.
1: Yeah, and that first off, you know, the name of the author is clearly listed, it's not me. It's Mm -hmm. titled a press release. And I mean, I've put up things by Colin Coward from the gay and lesbian Christian movement. We don't, uh, not everything we post represents our point of view. Far from it. Uh, But what we try to do is put out everything so that you can read it for yourself and to the Andreev's who objected and to the supporters of the Andreev's who objected to the Church Society's press release, I said send me yours and it'll go up as well. So uh, I think people have been trained in the recent years not to think anymore and when they read and so everything you get on CNN or MSNBC or Fox presents one point of view. Anglican Inc. tries its best impartial at which means uh, allowing both sides to speak their minds, so they recognize their points of view and what's being said and that's why we put a lot of credence on press releases because you know what's the point of rewriting for instance the Bishop of Vermont's letter is up on Anglican Inc where she talks about the financial cliff and everything it's better for you as an intelligent reader to read what she says than to rely solely on my condensing it into 50 words. Um, if you want the 50 words you listen to Anglican Unscripted.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I do 25, you do 25. It's, it's a good system. It works. Now I mean th- there's a lot of benefit to having the conversation and being very transparent. When we post uh, stuff that we disagree with, we post it because we know that you can read through that as well. You're an intelligent audience. Um, we know because you watch us. That's,
1: you know. And we also post things that are not complimentary to us. Uh, hmm. the Bishop Derek Jones wrote some rejoinders to our hmm. coverage sure. of uh, the uh, JAFC chaplaincy controversy. Um, and we published his responses Absolutely. which uh, were not things that uh, made us look good. He disagreed strongly with what we had to say hmm. but it's still important that we put out what Bishop Jones's point was. Absolutely. All
0: right we've covered all the bases. This is Friday. This is a weekend. Get out there. Have fun but on Sunday morning worship. And don't climb, days, don't, don't climb mountains on Sunday. climb mountains. And bring
1: your own ropes. Bring your own ropes. Don't rely on other people's ropes when you're rappelling down a mountain. (sighs) Please don't.
0: I'm Kevin Carlson,
1: And I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 678 of Anglican Unscripted.